0: Welcome to Teacher Tales, a podcast from the spirit of teaching. This is your host, Linda Markley, and I invite you to join me and my guests as we get curious, explore, discover, and learn more about what is really at the heart of teaching. In each episode, we will hear the story of a teacher, what called them to teach, what are their greatest joys and challenges in teaching, what inspires them. And what are their hopes, dreams, and vision for the education of children? We will learn more about the greatest lessons they have taught and also the greatest lessons they have learned. No checklists, no standards, no reports, no paperwork, and no data. Just stories from their hearts to our hearts on a journey to celebrate what really matters in the true Spirit of teaching. Hello everyone and welcome back to Teacher Tales. I need to issue a disclaimer for this recording of Teacher Tales. My guest was in Puerto Rico and we didn't discover until after we had finished our conversation that the audio recording on my part had some technical issues. So I've done the best I could to edit the podcast, uh, to make it easy to listen to, but I didn't want to re-record it with the guest, because as teachers, you know what it's like to be super busy and not have a lot of extra time, and besides that, what my guest had to say was very powerful, very authentic, and very natural, and I would not want to go back and try to recreate that, so... I hope that you will give me grace and understanding on this podcast and just listen to what uh, Nilda has to say and soak it all in and pardon the audio uh, difficulties. Thanks. So I want um, this beautiful soul to introduce herself. She is such an inspirational, um, happy person that's just going to lift your spirits, so Hello, or I should say hola.
1: (laughs) Hi, everyone, hola. Um, I am Nilda Rivera. I am talking to you from San Juan, Puerto Rico. Um, I am originally from a town in the center called Calle, although I could honestly say that 40% of my heart belongs to the city of New Orleans in Louisiana, where I lived most of my early adulthood years, and actually some of my central teaching years. I teach right now at the Tasis School in Dorado. I am the United States history teacher for 11th grade and the AP United States government and politics teacher for the seniors. But I started teaching in 1999 and I have taught from third grade up almost everything you can think of except math and science. But I have taught art, French, spanish as a second language spanish language arts english language arts history in different variations and i've been lucky enough also to teach at the college level especially but at the college level has been mostly um english as a second language and spanish and latin american culture at tulane university and i also worked at some point of my career at vista higher learning and i was lucky enough to meet linda there and well this more than 20 years of experience in the job has been quite a roller coaster right of subjects and places and people but with one certainty right um this is this is the best vocation anyone can have and i think that because we love what we do we are able to get any challenge in front of us and even if we are not necessarily super successful, the first time we never back down. And I think that that is valuable on its own. Mm -hmm. I am so
0: honored to be here. Well, thank you. I am so honored to have you here. And I think you really embody the true heart and soul of a teacher. As far as that, like, we always hear this phrase like those that can do and those that can't teach and I think that is such a disrespectful thing. because Every teacher that I know is like you in that when they're challenged when they're called to do something they find a way we figured this out in the pandemic. You are an example of how you have adapted, and you have stepped up to the plate and hit a home run every time whatever you were asked to do. I have my my one daughter was telling me. She said, "You know, she watches Bake Off, you know, the British show Bake Off or whatever." And she said, bakers. Yeah, there was a lot of that going on during the pandemic. It's very calming. But she said one of the bakers said. If she said I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life and I was a little bit lost and she said what I found out was if I do what I love and I follow my passion, the rest of it just falls into place and I think that embodies you and I think that's what you've done whatever you um what subject you've been asked to teach or wherever you've been asked to live or whatever students have been a- asked to be in front of you, whether it's face-to-face or virtually, because we were talking about that, how you kind of adapted to all of that too. Um, and so you want to talk a little bit about that, the challenges that you've had, yeah. how you've um, adapted to their different subjects and prepared for them. And the true heart of a teacher too, I think, finds a way to teach the material, and you don't have to be an expert. So it's interesting to me when I think about
1: the the process, right, and the evolution of, of my career, because when I was a student, you know, I grew up in a family where I am the first one of my generation. I was an oops baby, you know? and because i was an oops baby in a way everybody was ready to have kind of a new doll so i got lucky in that sense you know there was a lot of love invested in me and i come from a family of teachers and my grandmother god bless her so she always kept saying to my to her husband that had a plan he the moment he knew i was going to be born I am his son's daughter. He planned everything, and I was going to be the first woman supreme, uh, the president of the Supreme Court in Puerto Rico. I was gonna be me. Little did he know that the actually first woman president, if I would have gone to law school on time, it would have been totally possible because she is from my generation. But he's we we don't talk about that. But <laughs> so, um, my grandma used to say, she's a teacher, look at her. She said that I used to teach every single animal in my house. I would bring the uh, the little um, goats in to teach them in my room. That The first person I asked for was a chalkboard, right? So like she's been teaching the dogs, the animals, any visitor, because again, I'm the first one of my generation. And until I had a cousin that I could play with, I had to wait for seven years. So everybody else that will come visit will get some kind of lecture apparently from my part. And everything kind of threw me that way. Then well, my granddad had that plan and I was a good I was lucky enough that I was a good student. So I went on the path. And when I was accepted in college, I thinking about going into the teacher school was not even possible because that was not part of the plan, right? A lot of things as always happened and life happened. I I ended up graduating history and I needed a job because at that moment, there were other needs in the family and I could not go grad school and pay for it. So I had to go get a job and pay for it myself. And then teaching came. I mean, it, it came naturally. And I was very doubtful. I wasn't sure if that was the right place for me. I did a lot of theater in high school and in college, and I really had that dream that I was going to be accepted in the in the university theater uh, in Rio Piedras, and I, I had this dream, and I fought so hard to get it, and I remember this conversation with the director of the Teatro Rodante that died this month, and I remember him telling me, look, Nilda, I know you're looking for your path. And I know you love the stage, and I know you want to be a professor. I thought about that was, you know, I, I had already accepted that lawyering was not my thing. But then my husband, my husband, God bless him, my grandfather, and I got into an agreement. Then it was going to be professor. it was going to be college teaching level because at that moment, you know, I'm a, I'm a creature of the 90s. And at that moment, the situation for teachers in Puerto Rico was really rough. And... Part of the government's plan became to tell everybody that everybody needed a college degree and you without a college degree, we're not gonna get anywhere. So one of the policies that they took on was to lower the numbers for admission at the teacher's college. So everybody could go in and have a college degree. The problem is that long term, you are accepting your lower grade kids, and you're forming them to be the teachers. Hmm. So there be the the there was quite of this connection between what the teacher college was preparing people for, and what act, the actual job outside of the classroom was, and. My granddad didn't want my call my professional career to start in that convoluted situation. So it was all you know, I was gonna be a professor, etc. whatever. My professor, his name was Dean Sayas. Dean told me, Look, I see something in you that I don't see in your other classmates. They are good actors, and I'm not saying you're not a good actor, you you, you do the job. That's why I cast you. But I know your heart is not totally in it. And I can't forget you looking at him. like, what are you talking about? I The only thing I dream of is for the scene to be over and for you to tell me that I did what you wanted me to do. And he looked at me and said, that is exactly what I'm saying. You're always thinking about the impact of the one that is on the other side. You are a teacher the actor thinks about them first and that is not a bad thing is that the way of the way the craft goes you are a teacher you're thinking about the other person understanding your message you're a teacher and you're a teacher with commitment people need that do not throw your gift away and i was never able to since that moment i i got it i okay i i I see what you're saying and everything changed then and i have been trying to live up to that idea since that moment and i think that when he died last month a lot of things got back into place for reflection and I feel that I've been reflecting on the job since I've moved back to Puerto Rico in 2017, right? We, I got here in June. I didn't have a job at the moment. I came from teaching seven years at Jesuit High School of New Orleans. Those seven years helped me build networks and traditions and teaching practices. And a lot of things that helped me understood the job and helped me feel that I was a very effective language teacher. My kids were going abroad when they go to college. I was getting messages from my former teachers at Tulane. Every time that get, they got one of my kids. Like I can tell this was your student. good job. And I, I felt that, okay, I found my place and suddenly I'm back home. So what am I going to do? Long story short, when Maria put us, Hurricane Maria came, my plan that was teaching virtually went away. I had no power, I have no water, I have no internet. And my husband's job was going to carry both of us until I was able to find that school. And that also went away because he didn't lose the job, but he lost 30% of the salary. So we needed to think about what next so our family could be stable. Like everybody else was looking for a way to survive the destruction of the hurricane and the uncertainty of tomorrow. And then this school came to my life and and I realized that because of the journey I was put into when I started teaching Spanish as a second language, I was ready to do the, the job at Tassiz and I was ready to go back into teaching history that I have not since 2001. <laughs> and also I realized that we were able to start teaching in a new way. We were not dependable of the textbook anymore. We have been fighting that dependency in the foreign language classroom for quite some time, and we bring value, you know, giving value to authentic resources forever, right? We, our, your your generation and mine, we put... We put a knife in our teeth and we were defending the importance of authentic resources forever to understanding that our kids needed to live in the culture that we were teaching them, that that was not gonna be given by a textbook, that we had to put them, even if we were in Ohio, we had to put them in the midst of the culture that we were trying to get them to appreciate and to live in and to think the world from these different lenses, right? Because we have been doing that in the foreign language classroom for so long, I do believe that when COVID came around, we were ready for the language classroom and for any classroom in the distance because our relationships and our connections were so much more important than the textbook that we could give the kids quality education even if they were talking at their computers and so were we. Right? We, we had the resourcefulness, we had the elements that will help us not only survive, but thrive. And I think that when politicians started to talk about us as first responders, that was not only about time that they recognized that we were the first line into that normalcy and that love and that engagement that the new f- generations had with their own future, right? And we were in the time of the pandemic as valuable as the people that were taking care of their little bodies, we were taking care of their souls and their minds, right? Now, what is sad is that our fellow first responders that are connected to the health world keep being valued and we are going back into the dungeon again, somehow I feel, right? That the questioning of our criteria of what is important in our classroom, the questioning of what is the truth that we're teaching the kids, the questioning of how loyal we are to our nation's history and what is our patriotism, what? Now there's so many things out there questioning the value of a teacher that it seems surreal to me that 2 years ago they were praising us and now they are trying to put us back in our place what is that supposed to mean mm-hmm. right? it's it's such a tough moment for teachers such a tough moment but we can we can survive i i i, I think that we have proved that and we keep doing it every day our networks our connection to the kids and how much we value our job in society, right? I think that those things keep us together even in the aftermath of the great resignation, right? And the fact that that
0: is not over yet. Mm -hmm. it's, 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 It's something else, yeah. You've said so many great things that I want to touch on, um, and something I kind of had a little epiphany with with you and what you were saying about, you know, we talk about resilience and teachers stepping up and finding a way, and we survive, we survive, we survive, and that's what teachers do. But we shouldn't have to always be in survival mode, and we should have the resources and the support and the the inspiration from the world for us to thrive. And I think the teachers that are thriving still, it's still a struggle, have the whole Maslow thing in mind of self-actualization. And I think that's what you've done and exemplified in your career is that no matter what they've asked you to teach, no matter what context, or a challenge like Hurricane Maria, you have been able to still self-actualize. And that's what I think teachers are wanting in the classroom now. They want to self-actualize. And the fact that you said authentic resources, I know that's how our hearts are connected too, with like, make it meaningful to the kids in the real world. Help them to self-actualize, to see their place in the world and to thrive. And I think the hearts of teachers that are like that are the ones that are still going to, they may be beat up a lot right now, but they're going to find a way like you have, so you're a great exemplar and inspiration for that. Uh, and, and the qualities that you have of actualization are very clear. Teachers who love, love their students, love themselves, love the profession, give hope. They always have hope for themselves, for their students, and for the world. They find a place to make connections and belong, you know, like belong to their students, belong to the profession, and have the students belong to them. It is such a profound thing, that self-actualization. Um, it's it's important also, and I keep thinking about,
1: you know, after you do, after you look back and you realize okay i've been doing this for two decades right i have some meat in the bone of my experience i keep thinking about what you said is that i tell my new colleagues and my kids all the time it's like the moment these exchanges lose hope the moment hope is not one of the pillars of coming to school every day then when if you actually miss it then that is a flag that it's problematic because at the end of the day, it's hope that feeds everything we do. It's the hope that the guys that we teach will remember, not necessarily the content, but the relationship, the connection, and and how do we, if my kids in my history classroom, don't remember dates or names, I don't mind. They have their phones and they can Google it, right? Technology has changed what content really means, right? And, and it has put the skills in the upfront, right? I tell my kids all the time and your history teacher, my job is not to teach you what to think, is how to think, right? So how you manage and process that world that is happening in front of you, how you belong to it, how you fix it and when and how you take a step back because that is not the path you wanna follow, right? All of these things are part of the job. How do you present an argument properly, right? How you defend your opinions and how you back up those thoughts with evidence. At the end of the day, that's what my job has become. I don't need you to memorize the order of the 46 presidents anymore. When we depended on encyclopedias and the kids needed that knowledge to be more familiar because they couldn't find it at, the, at their fingertips, well, yeah, sure, I, I get that. But now in 2022, when I can actually tell a kid, tell me who is president number 18, and they don't have to remember that it was Ulysses S. Grant, they just need to put it on Google
0: right
1: (laughs) it's not about who was it it's that why he matters for history right Mm -hmm. and that same thing needs to be applied to the profession why this job matters now what is my objective now and if we are able to make peace with the answer we give to that question every august i I think not only we're gonna find hope at the center of whatever answer we put together, but we definitely will be able to not lose ourselves in the storm that uh, the system gives us, right? Um, Frederick Douglas used to say that we needed the storm, right? That we need to, to irritate people to be able to get something done. And well, as teachers, probably that's our job now we need to be the intellectual stone that get our kids to think about the future in a problem solving kind of way right this generation it's going to be put in front of challenges like global warming and and inequality and um, gender placement or not in the world, right? How are we going to finally open the door for people that have claimed to be excluded for so long? How how are how do we teach our kids to open to be open to growth and to love, right? It, it's quite a it's quite a powerful thing to realize that that is our job, and if we are willing to fight. If we are willing to put our knives back in the mouth to open the weeds of under of misunderstanding and misinformation and and lack of kindness and even worse lack of listening to one another, that the rest of the world has become, we need that hope. We, we can't live, and it's not about surviving; it's about living. In that sense, and 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 without it, I can't even imagine. What this
0: job can be. Mm-hmm. Uh, just uh, a couple of other things that you said that just amaze me, that, that kind of the marriage between Maslow and Bloom's. You said the why. We focus on that a lot in education, like higher order thinking skills, getting them to problem solve and to, to think about the why. But we don't marry it with the real world and how can you self actualize, you know, through love and hope and belonging and being the best version of yourself through this experience and interaction with knowledge and content and you know all of that so again that's that's your magic and that's why you have the heart of a teacher and why you have been able to adapt to whatever subject you're teaching because you find that that's the heart of it and that becomes your I guess
1: you're driving force. Um. You know, I, I keep thinking about how much the profession has changed. Do I think about what my mother used to tell me, right? Every, at the beginning of every school year, you know, me being a child of the late 80s for elementary school, I remember very clearly my mom telling me, look, if they ever call me from this school to say that you were disrespectful to your teacher you're not going to tell that tale because I am going to get you right there and I'm going to turn your face back, you know, backwards. That was, the, that was her magic phrase, virarte la cara al revés. Right? And I was so afraid of that image of, oh, my God. But at the core of it was that idea that you needed to respect your teacher because that teacher was the, the person that was going to guide you to the next step of your life. And I keep thinking about how our society has started to lose that peculiar respect for the role of the different people in society, right? I remember when the teacher had the authority and it was unthinkable for anybody to go against that. Don't get me wrong. I'm not missing the untouchable, know-it-all teacher that no one could touch because that we all know was not exactly totally positive either. But there was, I do miss, or it hurts me when I have to think that we need to keep reminding society of our value, right? Why do I need to keep using the time that I could be investing in helping guiding my kids towards the next stage of their life in reminding society that I am valuable and that my job provides for the future. When did that become something that is questionable? right? When did that become something that was not a given for everybody else? And I keep even looking at our leaders in, in politics, right? How, when, when did it became important or necessary for us to remind people that schools are a place that needed to be protected? When we, our survival became even to defend what we what we have considered valuable for our kids to learn. Just because somebody went to school, that doesn't mean that they can analyze the pedagogy behind the actions, right? I, When I was a second language teacher, I kept saying something, and I, and I know you've been on this conversation too, and I got those eyes of, oh, wow, But just because you learn and know how to speak a language, that doesn't mean you are capable of teaching it. It's the same thing with the rest of the elements of the world. We as teachers, we have to go through process of preparing ourselves to understand how to properly engage with the kids. That has a value that I can not believe we need to keep defending over and over and over again, right? How can we move forward and keep, talking about our country being the center of the free world or actually the 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 force in front of progress when our teachers are being questioned about how what we say to the kids it's or not appropriate, right? It it blows my mind the challenges that teachers have to deal with every day, and I can't help but wonder when that shifted and what we didn't see that ended up being our own demise, right? What did we not see timely, right? How 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 can we go back not to that moment when the teacher was untouchable, but when our value was not
0: questions so we could be talking about something else that makes sense it does it does and it's a it's a very profound question for everyone to consider when did the profession lose its value in the eyes of people i think teachers help hold society together they're the mm. glue um, and at the beginning of the pandemic i know there were a lot of parents and famous people that were posting on social media. Oh my gosh, like I can't even handle my children for 5 minutes. How does a teacher handle them all day long? And so our value went up kind of like the stock market. But then it crashed again and you know, it's devalued. When I mean it was a moment I think of clarity for everyone when they experienced it, but otherwise and this is part this is not part. This is the reason for this podcast is to open up the world's eyes, minds, and hearts to what the life of a teacher is really like, what the value of a teacher is. And, you know, teachers listen to it for inspiration, teachers to listen to you, you know, and it's wonderful for that. But I really would ask for non-teachers to listen and to truly listen with their heart. Because sometimes even in a family of teachers, even with spouses or whatever that are married to teachers, they still don't get it. They're not listening with their heart and they still don't get it. I have a friend who's a teacher that her husband said when she came home, no more talk about school. And it was that he didn't really know how to deal with it. He didn't know how to solve it. And men like to fix things. So that was his answer to it. Um, And I think a lot of people are like that or they think they're experts because they were once a student and maybe they had a bad experience and you get a lot of um, emotions involved with teachers that you don't maybe sometimes in business or stuff like that. But social media is certainly probably a, a part of it and uh, the last two blog posts that i've done have been on discipline and then classroom courtesies because i think what you're talking about is more what i was saying about classroom courtesy Uh, teachers are really saying that parents and students are not courteous they're not respectful to teachers but what you were saying about modeling for children and wanting the best for children and everything. We I was at a baseball game yesterday, a spring training game with my daughter, and there was a couple there with their two children, a boy and a girl, probably eight and 10 years old. And the ump called the call that the father didn't agree with. And he started yelling at the ump and saying, you know, maybe you should go back to school. Maybe you need to go to ump spring training. And, and I thought, First of all, sportsmanship. How is this acceptable in a sport where we tout good sportsmanship and that's what we're supposed to be teaching children? Number two, he did that and modeled it in front of his children who then did the same thing. There we go. And kids are always looking. Teachers remember that because we have, you know if you have a elementary classroom 30 kids a day maybe uh, high school you've got 200 kids a day you, and you're a role model and uh, that's a lot of pressure that i think uh, parents will sometimes be like oh, but i can escape it for a little while <laughs> you know but teachers can't you can and for me you know all that
1: argument between where are values supposed to be taught at if it's at home if it's at school and all that back and forth that you notice of parents claiming it's like why didn't you teach them this or why didn't you teach them that is like look yes i teach values in the sense that i treat my kids the way i know is properly to teach another human being, to treat them with kindness and respect and everything. But their role in society as a human being cannot depend just on the 15 minutes I see them once a day. Right? That's why then the ethos of the school is important. Right? We, we go from the small to the big. And the school is a part of their life, but it's not their whole thing. And they are not defined only by what I teach them. So if what they see me doing and what they see at home does not match, it's not me the one that is going to be validated because I am not their family. They are always going to put the opinion of the parent in front of mine. So with the values that are not taught at home does not match what they see at school, we are not doing those kids any favors. On the contrary, we're confusing them even more on what is the proper social cue for things. Mm -hmm. So then how do we find common ground? Well, actually, the common ground is based on that courtesy, that is not defined by faith, not by race, not by gender. is by basic proper treatment of another human being. Mm-hmm. So right. The little things that are common matters way more than sometimes the specificity of my classroom. So we need to all recognize our responsibility in the pot like, what is the ingredient that we brought to each kid's gumbo? If I may get a little culinary metaphor there, right? Mm-hmm. Every kid is a different dish. We bring something to them, but the alignment matters. And that alignment keeps being broken The moment we don't recognize that the kids learn by by the things that are modeled to them, right? That there are behavior things that they
0: just mimic what they see at the home. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yep. It's it's tricky. It is tricky. Yep. But again, behaviors and modeling that behavior for the kids, um, kindness, things that... I don't know, just go back to the golden rule, you know, treat others as you would want to be treated. And I can't imagine that that father would have wanted to be in a public place on a field and humiliated like that. it It's just, yeah, but people don't think about that, I guess. And I don't know, where did it all start? Social media? Um, I don't know.
1: I don't know anymore. And... It's not just us. I keep thinking about all the other role models of authority in in society. Don't get me wrong. Law enforcement, there's a lot that we need to be aware of because a lot of things happen, but we cannot go back to the black and white because we are shooting ourselves in in the foot. We cannot say all oh, policemen are bad and then when something happens, complain that the policemen don't get to their place. It's the same it's the same logic. Mm-hmm. It, it, it. Injustice happens not because a peculiar profession doesn't do the job right. Injustice happens because in every profession there are humans that are not being called on the injustice that they commit. Mm-hmm. And that is not defined by the job because it is is horrible and, and a danger to society, a policeman that abuses somebody as a teacher that also mistreats a kid or the fire marshal that doesn't get to the fire on time, right? These are three dangers for society that can be fixed ahead, but we cannot make, these professions, the enemies of society either, you know?
0: Yep, it's people. We're talking about people. It's people. Our commitment as teachers is to grow good human beings. I think it's it's not about teaching a certain content area. Um, That's just um, a little added bonus to it, but being a role model and, and growing good human beings. And you know, Linda, sometimes,
1: You know, I keep thinking about that concept of intersectionality. And people talk about that when, you know, when they talk about race and they talk about gender. But I think about it from my classroom my my profession. And in one day, I have to be aware of gender issues, race issues, learning issues, SEL, my actual content and the skills and the kid that we know that might come to school, and that is the only time that that kid feels protected. Plus, the kid that has dyslexia and needs me to sometimes take step a couple of step backs, put a shield, take my mask off, so he could read my lips. We are balancing those balls at the same time in every minute of every class of every day, right? And. Everything we say does matter, right? Don't get me wrong, I do know that those CEOs that go meet with the governors because they are redefining energy policy so we don't lose the planet that fast, of course that matters. But please don't forget that the way I treat my juniors in high school can have an impact in the long run way bigger maybe that that conversation between the two powerful people that after an hour might not get anywhere you know that the fact that i can tell that kid that i believe in him and maybe then in 20 years he is the engineer that might solve the problem it matters as much as how i treat those kids to treat the firemen when we have a fire drill school or how they treat the person that helps them walk the street so they can get to their parents' car, right? Every single decision that I made and every relationship that I have in front of my kids can define the way they see the world. Don't tell me then that my job is not as important as the one from the CEO because I would like to see Mark Zuckerberg dealing with my juniors for a day. (laughs) You know, it's like... Yep. (laughs) It blows my mind how we stop looking at the impact of the little things that will go deeper into our kids' lives, right? And how we how can we keep in twenty twenty two arguing what is a dignified retirement for a teacher, right? Or what is the right salary that a teacher should get, or why a teacher needs to spend a third of their salary in after school daycare for their kids so they can raise somebody else's kids, right? How, how do we need to keep defending the value of these conversations when the world cannot move the moment we stop making them? You know, it, it blows my mind. We keep teaching these kids about priorities, but as a society, how are we showing what priorities are? You know, uh, how, can we, how can we help our kids understand our position in the world while we see kids like themselves being bombed in Ukraine? You know, and we need to make sense to that every day while teaching them two by two is four. Mm-hmm. I don't know it it's we have so many balls in the air mm-hmm. I don't think it's fair for me to know that one of those balls is to tell people what my real value for society is how 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 is that fair or proper or
0: even moral mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Yes, absolutely. Here, here. I know that it's like every teacher right now, or every person listening to this, must have an image in their head of you dropping the mic. Enough said. Audio. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's it. Thank you for that articulation of it. That was truly from the heart. So. Yes. So i like talking from from the heart. I feel that. That's our
1: job, but especially since we came inside because of the quarantine and we are still dealing with mask usage and things. I believe that our lives were transformed in front of us and we're still making sense of it while society tries to hold it together, right? And we are the holders of the duct tape Right. And it's it's because it's not scotch because our knowledge is stronger, but it's not crazy glue either because we don't have that much power because we don't do policy. So I think that we are the duct tape people, right? It's going to hold, but it's not going to hold if you keep pushing
0: kind of thing. <laughs> I don't know. I love your metaphors. <laughs> You
1: are a second language teacher, too. You know we live by metaphors trying to find that thing that is going to connect everybody.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. We live by metaphors. (laughs) That's what hope is about. Yes. So I have some little questions or just answer, you know, fill in the blank. You've listened to the podcast, so you know. Um, No right answer, no wrong answer. Whatever you feel is is from your heart. All right, yes. is it ready for that? Yes. All right. Teaching is? Teaching is hard work. Teaching
1: is as important as dancing, right? Because it it, it is an exercise where you balance words and actions and you hope that you get some kind of enjoyable dance that will never be forgotten, right? Uh, I think uh, that uh, teaching, teaching is that, teaching is the line between today and
0: tomorrow in that sense, right? uh, mm, Love that. Um, The best advice I have for new teachers is do not
1: go to bed without remembering why you wanted to be a teacher in the first place. Because the job is not a walk in the park. But like every good walk, walk in the park when it's over, it's so beautiful that, you know, you just need to be ready for not forgetting who you are that will get you anywhere be yourself and teach the kids to be themselves when you go to bed remembering what what is your why everything else will come into place it sounds cliche but it became cliche for a good reason Mm
0: -hmm. for sure and uh, this last one my greatest hope for all children is that the
1: memories of our life in peace and happiness are always more than those memories of challenge and despair.
0: Always the optimist. <laughs> <laughs> always. A- yes. Well, thank you so much. You have brought so much wisdom and inspiration and
1: insight. Thank you, Linda, for thinking of me. And I I would like to, you know, for those teachers out there, if you are in your first five years of the profession, I know that it, it's exhausting to hear it gets better, but it, it will. I promise you it will. The thing is that No one learns from somebody else's experience, really. You get strategies, you get examples, you get anecdotes to inform yourself. But your path is going to be built by your successes and your failures and your overcoming and your tears and your laughs and your moments of total... Ecstasies because all oh, the kids got it, right? Uh, it, it's a combination of things, but the journey is it's it, no one can really tell you how beautiful it will be because it's gonna be your own. Just don't let fear distract you from that beautiful thing, right? And as I tell my seniors every time, it's like, love yourself enough to love your future. But it's the same thing with teachers. Love your teaching self enough that that future teaching will be everything for you. I promise you. Hold on. If you're with me in the middle, don't forget the hope, but also don't forget that you are Part of what you are, because you wanted to be the next someone else, right? There was someone in your career that you hold on to. It's like that's a, that's my goal. Those are my my yeah. That's the person I want to be. Don't forget about that and hold on to that love. You will get better. And for those of you close to retire or thinking about it, thank you, thank you for holding on. Thank you for anything that you fought for the profession and for the kids and thank you for still be there because you give us the rest of us hope that it will get better right and i hope that you find as i did my rosario's rosario bureda and my carmen lamboy and my Luis matey and my, my Nadal, right those role models and those Linda Marklins and Pam Benton and Nora Jones, right? Those those people that I think of when things get a little naughty and a little iffy, right? And I think about them and I think about the Kathy Juhas and the Mike Chambelucas and, you know, and the Melissa Royos and the Sarah Hernandez and the people that were there, the Amy Georges, right? all my models. And the ones that are not there, like you know, those families, those teachers in my family, like my madrina that was the original Miss Rivera and I will, you know, love her forever. Remember those guys in your life and thank you for keep building the future, not only of our nation, but of the world together. It's an honor to be one of you.
0: I'm going to get Kleenex now and I hope everyone else (laughs) does too. (laughs) Hello again, everyone. This is your host, Linda Markley, and I'd like to invite you to nominate a teacher to be a guest on the podcast and to share their story. All you have to do is go to www.spiritofteaching.org and fill out the nomination form. Again, that's www.spiritofteaching.org. Also, please share, rate, and give some feedback to help us better serve you in the spirit of teaching. Thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to having you back next time on Teacher Tales.